easy. The volatility and the upswings and the mood. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahura. China mainland shares are on track to be added to the MSCI stock indices. China's economic data from investment to retail will di- dictate the PBOC's next move. And U.S. and European bonds resume their sell-off on demand concerns. Well, the PBOC has already reduced rates three times since November and has twice cut the reserve ratio requirements to encourage lending amid concern that the slowdown would damage the job market. But has the economy hit rock bottom? We'll ask Bocom's Hao Hong. Then China market researchers James Roy will talk to us about Macau's gaming and hospitality industry. And la, our last guest this morning, Joe Vu of First Derivatives, talks about the world of fintech. Stuart Aldcroft of City Trust is back in the chair as guest host. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Renita. Stuart, as you know, making money in mature Western markets becomes tougher due to overcapacity or whatnot. China really looks to offer better growth prospects for stock and derivatives exchanges. Do you think we're going to see more Western exchanges heading this way? Um, of course, I think they'll head this way. It's not the exchanges that are heading this way so much as the fund managers in, in Western countries will want to be taking a look at China. But China is quite expensive at the moment, and I think we'll hear about that a little bit more uh, as we go forward. But if the growth remains very positive, expense doesn't m- matter that much. All right. Well, let's uh, start with the U.S. this morning. Uh, U.S. stocks ended virtually unchanged overnight after a choppy trading day with investors hesitant to make bets. A sharp increase in oil prices failed to boost energy stocks. The Dow fell two points to 17,764. The S&P 500 rose fractionally to 2,080, while the Nasdaq fell a tenth of a percent to 5,013. Alibaba's Jack Ma wants his company to be even bigger than Walmart in the next few years. He's been peddling the metal in the U.S., pitching to local businesses there to sell through to the Chinese middle class using the Alibaba platform. He wants to sell $1 trillion worth of goods through Alibaba's platforms by the end of this decade and claims that he might even achieve this number this year itself. Here's BDA chairman Duncan Clark with his take. Well, you know, I think he's pretty cautious in the sense that we've seen some of the um, failures, frankly, of some Chinese companies who've kind of rushed into the U.S. market. Uh, down in uh, Portland, Oregon, there was, uh, you know, leaning, tried to set up uh, right opposite Nike and this, you know, grand scheme, and, and it didn't work. So, you know, I think he's right in the sense that the Chinese consumer market is growing the fastest. They, they're going to play to their strengths there. From here in Washington State, you know, cherries have been been exported in the pallet load uh, by air freight to uh, consumers on Tmall. So, you know, there's a, a clear demand and there's a clear supply, and he's focusing on that first. It's not to mean, not to say he's not going to be ambitious about the U.S. later. Now, Alibaba has been a major investor in U.S. companies, from Snapchat to Lyft, Zulily to the new e-commerce marketplace, Jed.com. So the question really is then, what are Jack Ma's ambitions when it comes to the U.S.? And surely they go beyond a cross-border commerce opportunity. 
Jack Ma and Alibaba are placing some very, very strategic bets, um, and not just in U.S. investments in commerce, but also in mobile users, uh, such as uh, the investment in Snapchat. And also, let's not forget video and personal finance. They're putting bets everywhere. The near-term focus of more commerce into China is really about next quarter and maybe the quarter after or the remainder of the year's revenue. These longer-term bets, I think, will play out and will contribute to future revenue. Yeah, that's a BDA's Crid U. HSBC is to cut about 50,000 jobs worldwide and sharply reduce the size of its investment bank. Half of the bank's global workforce will go when it sells its operations in Brazil and Turkey. The chief executive, Stuart Gulliver, says that the cuts will save the bank up to five billion U.S. dollars a year by 2017. They will reduce uh, HSBC staffing to about 208,000 over the next two years. But Hong Kong employees will not be affected. And MSCI expects to include mainland traded shares in its global benchmarks after, quote, a few important remaining issues related to market accessibility have been resolved, end quote. Stuart, what uh, could these, uh, you know, few important remaining issues possibly be? Well, one of the concerns that uh, MSCI has had is the liquidity in China and the convertibility of the RNMB. Uh, the liquidity is is clearly there now, and as as um, China gives out more RQ fee quotas to different places, as Stock Connect develops a lot more, then this opens up the market a great deal. Um, we've already seen FTSE as another index provider include China in its indices. So I think MSCI is just doing a bit of grandstanding at this point um, and will more or less um, make the decision perhaps by August, September to include China A shares in its major indices. Yeah, big moves for FTSE, Vanguard and now MSCI. Uh, with MSCI, you know, if all of this goes through, you are looking at upwards of 40 to 50 percent weighting to China China stocks, that is, in the MSCI emerging markets in the next few years. How do you figure? Here's Bloomberg's Eric Balkunas. What's currently in there are what's called Hong Kong listed shares. So if you look at the emerging markets index, it's 20% China. All of that is Hong Kong listed shares. What they're considering adding is A shares, which are onshore shares only available to mainland citizens up until now. Um, If they add those, that could be, let's say, start at a 5% and then increase up to a 13%. So now you're looking at about 35%. Then on top of that, they've already said they're going to include end shares, which are Chinese companies that list in the U.S., like Alibaba. That's already happening in November. So if, you, if they decide to include A shares today and start the ball rolling, you're looking at upwards of 40 or 50% weighting to China in the MSCI emerging markets in a few years. So what does this mean then about the amount of money that's going to flow into China? When you look at the total amount of dollars that this could mean in buy orders for A shares, you know, I ballpark it at 300 billion because if you go and you think that 1.7 trillion is benchmarked to the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, a lot of that's active managers who are going to have to now go out and get A shares uh, in order to keep up with the benchmark and ultimately try to beat it. So the amount indexed plus active is borderline 2 trillion. And if you're looking at a 15% weighting, that's how I come up with roughly 300 billion that will have to go buy A shares at some point. 
300 billion in buy orders. I mean, that's a pretty sizable number. Stuart, do you agree? Um, it's potentially more than that, actually, because he's just looking at the emerging market indices. And when you look at the global indices, where China will also play a part, then there could be a significantly larger amount, too. But one thing that he didn't say, and I think you need to be very careful on this issue, is that what uh, China takes uh, in, in the proportion of the indices, another country is going to lose. And that means money is going to go out from other emerging markets that pr- probably will see quite a significant downturn. That's a great point, Stuart. What does this actually then mean for um, the investor who wants to invest in a diversified portfolio of emerging markets? Well, clearly, you, you're going to have to look very carefully at what the current uh, percentage weightings are. And uh, you know, a lot of international investors have used Hong Kong and Taiwan and to a lesser extent Singapore as a proxy for investing into China. And it could be that some of that money might come out of those locations. Uh, they've also used Korea, but Korea has now, is no longer re- considered to be an emerging market. Um, and, and some Japanese companies even have been used as a sort of proxy for China uh, in, in some instances. But uh, overall, I think this is obviously very positive for China. All right, let's bring in our first guest, uh, Hao Hong, who is the Managing Director and Chief Strategist at Bocom International Holdings. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Hao Hong, you know, the MSCI is supposed to be a diversified index, but it looks like it's going to end up being significantly weighted to Chinese shares. Uh, Is that just, you know, counter uh, what it's supposed to be in the first place and why investors would be interested? Yeah, I think it's a reflection of how important the Chinese market has been uh, since late last year. Uh, now it's a 10 trillion US dollar market. It's the second largest. And I think the turnover, uh, in the mainland Chinese market is the highest in the world. We trade about 2 trillion yuan a day. Uh, it is substantially larger than any other stock exchange you've seen. So I think, you know, even eventually we include 50% of the MSCI uh, emerging market index. Uh, to be uh, that of China, I would say that, you know, it's just a reflection of what's going on uh, in this part of the world. So in an emerging market index means effectively investing in China. (laughs) 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 Uh, How much of a victory is this for policymakers, uh, you know, this inclusion of the A-shares in the MSCI? Yeah, I I think the... Uh, Chinese government, especially the, uh, the CSRC, really wanted to be in, uh, in uh, included into the MSCI index, you know, because you know it's a important step and also an important piece of work for the Chinese market to be internationalized. And you know, over the past few years, we've been working towards that. Um, and also uh, going to the second half of 2015, we're probably going to see even more progressive reform in capital market and capital account opening. Uh, so that kind of reform will help eventually for the Chinese market to be included into the MSCI index. So it is an important step for China and also for the Chinese regulators. And right now, about 80% of equity trading in the near $10 trillion stock market in China is accounted for by domestic investors. So to what extent do you think that is going to change and by when? QV is about 15% of the market. Uh, QV has been there for a long time. Um, and I think the market value uh, of their holdings has been growing. 
But one of the challenges that they're facing is, you know, once they make the money, they can't repatriate. <laughs> and also, you know, they, they're facing a different uh, uh, capital gain tax treatment uh, until late last year. Uh, so, you know, all, all these are, are gradually changing. At the moment, you're right, you know, it's about 70 to 80 percent retail driven uh, in the mainland Chinese market. Um, but... I would say that you know it, it is very difficult to put a time stamp uh, when uh, this structure is going to change. But gradually, you know, we, we're probably going to see uh, more and more positive development coming uh, in that market. Yeah, but, but I think also you know one of the benefits of being included in the index uh, and particularly attractive from the uh, Chinese government's point of view is that bringing in institutional investors from overseas will mean longer term money. And therefore, it's uh, going to perhaps reduce the extent of the turnover that retail investors are causing on the market. Uh, yes, yes, to a certain extent. I mean, if, if you look at um, in the past few months, you know, the experience that we had uh, with the Hong Kong Stock uh, Connect program <laughs> has been quite uh, the opposite of, of what we have been expecting. Uh, you know, ever since the launch of the Connect program, we're actually seeing uh, money flowing into China and also retail trading has been uh, going up uh, instead, uh, in, in, uh, in terms of the percentage of total amount trading uh, instead of institutional. And also, you know, because of uh, uh, the culture, uh, the Chinese culture uh, in, in the Chinese market, you know, uh, stock fund managers are being measured and compensated on very short-term gains. So, and so that, that's a very important cultural factor that we have to overcome for institutional investors to behave like an institutional investor, yeah. not a retail investor. But, but for institutional investors, clearly they look for good value stocks. And so are there many out there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an um, uh, interesting observation. I think the Chinese market is getting very expensive. The median uh, price to earnings ratio on the Shanghai Stock Exchange is now 86 times. The China export is 150 times. The small, the SME board is about 100 times as well. So, you know, it, 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 we're seeing some outrageous um, valuation uh, in the Chinese market. Uh, so, you know, value is difficult to find at this stage. How? What do you think will be the biggest impact? Will there be a, a rise in the demand for Chinese blue, blue chips? Uh, we hope so, but then at the, you know at the same time we you know judging from the Hong Kong Stock Connect program, you know we were hoping that you know by bringing in institutional money, uh, people would buy more uh, blue chip stocks. But then you know year to day, what we're seeing is that banks, uh, the largest blue chips uh, in the Chinese market, has substantially underperformed until recently. Uh, at the same time, China and 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 the SME board. Uh, have been performing very strongly uh, to a valuation not seen, never seen before. Uh, so uh, I would say that, you know, temporarily in the short term, you know, it would be a little difficult um, to generate demand for blue chips stocks as long as the SME and China export continue to perform. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Hao Hong, and he is the Managing Director and Chief Strategist at Bocom International Holdings. The Nikkei is up... Uh, uh, 20
21 points, excuse me, 21 points, 0.11% to 20,118. Australia's ASX 200 index is up 0.01% to 5,480. And Seoul's Kospi also up seven-tenths of a percent to 2,079. In currencies, one euro is valued at 1.12 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 124.41 yen. And one pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 92 cents and one US dollar and 53 cents. Also, I have a quick announcement from the transport department, which says that due to a traffic accident, the fast lanes of Lungcheng Road in Senwan, uh, sorry, Senwan bound near Wong Tai Sin Plaza is closed to all traffic. Well, we will be back to talk a little bit more about Macau Gaming right after this. The time is now 8.19 a.m. and about uh, after five straight years of continuous monthly increases, gambling revenue in Macau has fallen for the 12th straight month and is down 37% this year. Let's bring in China Market Research Group's assistant principal, James Roy. He joins us on the phone from Shanghai. Good morning, James. Morning. James, how long are we going to continue to see Macau gaming in the doldrums? Uh, well, I think that you're going to continue to see uh, some negative uh, returns from uh, from gambling revenue in Macau uh, for for a while now, and that that will probably also translate to uh, negative growth overall for Macau's economy, given that uh, you know about 80 percent of uh, Macau's GDP last year came from gambling. Um, you know, a key thing uh, that is sort of that has sort of left the market has been the VIP junkets, these sort of organized tours for high rollers come in and gamble uh, high stakes. That's been a big part of a lot of gambling receipts for big casinos like the Wynn, the, uh, the, uh, the Venetian, you know, Stanley Ho's, SJM uh, properties. Uh, a lot of these VIP junkets are, uh, you, know, you know, this is now, it's now sort of uh, very discouraged in the market given some recent statements by high-ranking Chinese uh, officials stating they want Macau to diversify its economy away from gambling and so that's caused a lot of these uh these trips to really start to shift to other destinations in asia so you have the high rolling gamblers mm. instead going to places like korea manila uh even in cambodia has uh, the macau government actually made any progress on diversifying the economy well, it's difficult to do because Macau is, su- it is such a small place, but also because of the, the huge amount, as I said, uh, that uh, you know, gambling uh, you know, is a part of its economy. Over 80% of GDP um, uh, last, last year. Um, the other things that, that they're trying to, uh, they're trying to uh, promote uh, you know, really quite, aren't really on the same scale um, as gambling. So it's really become a pretty one-dimensional economy. They're trying to boost uh, a lot of the the uh, tourism properties and become a sort of tourism and leisure uh, destination for for entertainment and family tourism things like that. Uh, but there's a few things I guess you know, and this is a good time to attract you know uh, tourism, uh, sort of leisure tourism from China. Uh, you know, outbound tourism is really growing very fast. Um, we expect to see you know outbound uh, tourism numbers uh, grow up into about 160 million over the next couple of years. Um, 
James, but, would but you a lot say of where people are going are 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 outside of Hong Kong, Macau these days? They're t- tending to go farther and wider. All right, James. Thank you so much. I think we're out of time. That's James Roy. He is the assistant principal at Ch- the China Market Research Group, joining us on the phone from Shanghai. Well, financial software from First Derivatives started in Northern Ireland in 1996 in a spare room in the home of Brian Conlon, the current CEO's mother. Today, it employs 1,200 employees in uh, 13 offices around the world and is just one of two publicly listed companies in Northern Ireland. Let's bring in First Derivatives Business Development Director for North Asia. Good morning, uh, Joe. That's Joe Vu. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Renata. So, Joe, can you explain to our listeners, uh, firstly, what exactly does First Derivatives do? Sure. Um FD is a Northern Irish company and we're listed on the London Stock Exchange. So we pride ourselves in leading the capital markets industry in delivering specialist data management solutions, um, specific applications for real time and trading surveillance and monitoring, big data analytics, algo trading, testing and liquidity management for the um, capital markets industry. So uh, we've been doing big data and working with the capital markets industry for the last 20 years. So it's nothing new to us. So, um, you know, this is a big foray, you know, into Hong Kong. You set up shop here last year. Is this your first venture outside of Ireland? No, we've, we've had a, a number of um, offices in North America for um, quite some time now, given a lot of the, um, the decisions are centered around the tier one investment banks, HQ. Um, so, Attacking um, Asia um, was a recent strategy, and we've been able to um, kind of find traction with the um, a lot of the Chinese banks and and a lot of the um, Hong Kong um, organisations here. So you're a software company, basically providing to the financial markets, right? Correct. So we're a capital markets um, mm-hmm. platform and solutions vendor. And, and as a software company, you get your programming done in Ireland as well, do you? Um, we, we actually have uh, programming bases around the world, so mm. Australia being one of the big bases. I'm, I'm in charge of building out a, a, uh, a base in Hong Kong, so we're looking at hiring from the universities mm. quite um, extensively. And, uh, so students should be applying to you right now? Indeed. So <laughs> we've got a couple of uh, open roles on, mm. on our website, yeah. and we've been uh, fortunate with the help of Invest Hong Kong to navigate the university mm. system. A lot of the software companies, particularly in the financial services area, have gone into China to get some of their work done. Uh, is that something that you have in mind as well? Uh, yes. So um, we, we're looking at the uh, cross-border um, um, skill sets from China. And um, I think that is very pertinent at the moment, given the, the whole cross-stock uh, connect and, and the, the trading volumes that we've seen in Hong Kong. Mm. And, um, and that's only been good business for the brokers, which are our clients, and hence um, the flow and effects to us. And, and do you find from one market to another, say from Europe to Australia to Asia to America, uh, that they require the same software or is it different software in each of these different markets? Um, the baseline would be the same, but we've had a, uh, we have to tailor the technology for the specific markets. Um, a lot of market microstructure needs to be taken into account given the, um, in Asia, you've got the stock exchange of Thailand having multiple boards and the micro auctions in Taiwan, for example. And what about what are you finding here in Hong Kong? How much do you need to tweak or, you know, differentiate uh, the software platform? Especially, especially, I should say, given the Stock Connect programs that are in place and uh, taking shape for the future. 
Um, so Hong Kong has uh, has uh, been very um, very good for us, given that it's got a lot of Western uh, traditions with um, Eastern values. So we've been able to um, bring a lot of that technology to Hong Kong and pretty much run it up in place. And a lot of our relationships that's already in place in Europe and North America, I, I'm just knocking on the same doors, talking to their counterparts in Asia. So the the... The conversations has been very easy and there's been no really um, big hurdles in terms of um, opening up the Hong Kong market. But when you say Western traditions with Eastern values, okay, so maybe perhaps in terms of business development, but with the actual software, how much do you need to change that to suit the needs of, you know, the cross-border trading platforms here? Um, the, the, the technology is very functional in, in being able to... Um, manipulate for for changes like an opening up of a stock connect to Shanghai and essentially Shenzhen later this year so it's it's a small tweak and it's it's something that we've been able to to deliver pretty uh pretty rapidly in for this um, Stock Connect. Now, algorithmic traders, you know, have done uh, very well. And uh, increasingly, we hear that, you know, banks and, you know, other financial companies are sometimes threatened by their services. Uh, however, there still appears to be some kind of mistrust in the industry that, you know, floating in the industry about uh, algorithmic traders. How does this affect financial software companies like First Derivatives? So, so they've been traditionally our client base um, for many years, and um, a po- four important part of the, the they meaning the banks, the the banks as well as the prop trading firms as well as the hedge funds as well. So that that sector of um, market participants has been um, very important to us. However, increasingly we've been asked to help with monitoring and the prudential regime to to um, bring stability to the market. So this has spawned a growth area for us around regulation technology or reg tech. And we've been able to make a number of significant deals with regulators and exchanges in the region um, and globally as well. So we've been working with the likes of ASIC in Australia and um, a number of exchanges in Asia. All right, Joe, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Joe Vu, and he is the Business Development Director of First Derivatives here in North Asia. Stuart, RegTech. RegTech is obviously part of FinTech, but uh, what do you think uh, we need? Well, of course, technology plays such an important part these days in everything to do with the financial world, and getting it right is so important too, and we've seen them the mistakes that have been made and the errors that have been made, the fat finger trades in the past. So, you know, all of, all of that is the uh, the result of uh, technology coming in. Yeah, and a uh, result of the technology is the vocabulary. Yeah, <laughs> new acronyms as well, yes. Uh, okay, let's take a quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is down two-tenths of a percent to 20,056. Australia's ASX 200 up uh, 0.09% to 5,484, and Sol's Kospi up three-tenths of a percent to 2,070. Gold is currently valued at $1,175.60 per ounce, and Brent crude oil at uh, $64.88. Well, Stuart, parting thoughts for the Wednesday. Well, China's on the top of everybody's minds these days, and I don't think that's going to change much in the, in the near future. Uh, clearly, There's a lot going on in China, and that's what we have to look forward to being based here in Hong Kong. 
All right. Thank you, Stuart. And thank you for joining us this morning. And every Wednesday morning, Stuart Aldcroft uh, is the chairman of City Trust and uh, our regular Wednesday guest host. And I am Rinita Malhotra-Hora signing off for this morning's Money for Nothing. The weather forecast for today will be hot with sunny periods and a few isolated showers. The temperature right now is 30 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 79%. Here's Sam Butler with the news. South Korea has reported two more deaths from the respiratory virus MERS, bringing the total number of fatalities to nine. Thirteen new cases have been reported, coming to a total of 108 infections. The World Health Organization has sent a team of experts to hospitals in Seoul to analyse the virus and develop a strategy to control infections. The team's communication officer, Dr Margaret Harris, addressed concerns that Seoul was slow to respond to MERS. Korea didn't have any experience of the cousin of this virus that Hong Kong suffered from, the SARS virus. So this was not something that any medical person would have expected to encounter. So it did take a little while for the medical system to know what they were dealing with. I mean, it was pretty impressive, actually, that they did work it out quickly. But the problem was the index patient had gone to several different medical settings. And this is a virus that does very, very well in healthcare settings. So that's how it managed to spread quite a lot before it was detected. Two elder statesmen in Japan, former Prime Minister Tomiichi Muriyama and former Cabinet Secretary Yohei Kono, have urged the current Prime Minister not to backpedal from previous apologies for Japanese aggression during the Second World War. Their intervention comes as Japan prepares to mark the 70th anniversary of the end of the conflict. The BBC's Rupert Wingfield Hayes reports from Tokyo. Both men accuse the current government of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of denying the truth about Japan's war crimes. Mr Kono said 